My client is simply not interested in a divorce. Is he serious? Is he really representing himself? One semester of law school, right here, baby. Great. Well, what would it take to interest your client? Okay, so here's the deal. You have uh, screwed up my life, but what I really want to know is why couldn't you go off and find yourself in our marriage? Why didn't you just say what you were thinking or feeling? I did. You never listened to me. No, 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 no. You never said, hey, you know what? You suck. I'm, uh, I'm deeply unhappy. You just took off. You never gave me a chance to address any of those problems, and that's not fair. That's just quitting. I took vows till death, and I take them seriously. I believe this is just a phase for you, and I am willing to wait it out. You are always waiting, Stephen. Waiting for me to come home, to want to have kids, to make you some great dinner. I don't know why we can't just accept that we don't want to live in unhappiness anymore. Okay, I accept the fact that I am uh, occasionally unreliable and that I often get sidetracked, but I thought that you liked that about me. I thought that it was okay that I had hopes and dreams. Have a dream, Stephen. Great, fine. Do that. Just pick one. Okay, I pick one. I pick you. That was, of course, um, a clip from the movie Eat, Pray, Love. It was a wildly popular movie when it came out. It was based on a book. It was actually based on someone's life. Um, and in that movie, there's a character, the primary character. Her name is Liz. And Liz has, on a superficial level, at least at first glance, an incredible life. She has an incredible job, husband. Um, her life is headed in the right direction. It's a great apartment in New York. Everything looks fantastic on the surface. But as the movie begins and as it continues on, you realize that as she has these sleepless nights that deep down within her, things are not okay. And she recognizes that and she can't put her finger on why is there this unsettledness in my heart and in my spirit? And so she decides that what she needs to do in order to live her best life is to jettison and to get rid of her former life. And so she quits her job, she sells her apartment, and she divorces her husband, who in the clip we see obviously has no understanding as to why and what's going on. And so she jettisons her whole life and goes on a journey, and she goes to Italy to learn how to eat. She goes to India to learn how to pray, and then she ends up in Bali and at the the culmination of the movie finds her true love. And that is kind of the underlying philosophy or motivation behind all of this is that she believes, and many, many other people believe this. In fact, this was a movie and a book that was promoted by Oprah, and many, many women were responded and resonated with this that there is this one person out there who is your soulmate, who is going to fill your life in a way that no one else can be. And in fact, if you watch the extended clip of the, the clip that we just watched, and I'll put the link down here in the, in the description, she says to her husband that basically that she knows that with every fiber of her being, that he will one day, he will find the person that wants just what you want. Now, of course, there's all sorts of issues with trying to find the person that wants just what you want. One, we are beings who live in time. And so as time marches on, we change. The circumstances around us change. And so it's incredibly difficult to find that person that is going to always want what you want. So 
at the end of the movie, she actually finds this supposed person. But in actually reading about this, I found that after 12 years, she divorces that person as well. And statistically, that's not actually a big surprise because when you look at the statistics, and there's a lot of them and they're always changing, but one thing that seems common among all of them is that after you've had your first divorce, if you get married again, the divorce, the chances of your divorce goes up even higher. And then their third marriage, the same thing as well. So but anyway, she gets divorced a second time and ends up getting married to... Um, someone that she says that she she was in love with her whole life and she just didn't recognize it until later. And it's a very sad story. And by the way, just want to be clear, I'm not rejoicing in divorce. And I'm not rejoicing in the fact that the person she married the third time was because she was about to die. And so she wanted to be married to that person before she died. And I didn't follow the story past that. I'm not sure where she is now. But what's clear is that at least for her, that vision of marriage ultimately did not lead to living her best life. And there are many, many different views of what marriage is for. Why do we marry? What's the purpose of that? Is it, is it procreation? Is it to find your life partner? Is it to find the one who wants exactly what you want? Or is it something else? Well, today, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at divorce. And this is a very delicate topic. It is a very intimate topic. Um, and there is no way that in the brief time that we have together, I'm going to cover everything related to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Um, and Jesus' intention, as we'll see, was not to cover all of those scenarios either. So if you happened upon this video, or if you're part of our community and you really want to dig deeper into a biblical understanding of marriage and divorce beyond what we're going to talk about today, I want to commend to you two books. Uh, one is called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. It's by J.E. Adams. And um, I'm not tech savvy to get money for this, but I will put a link down there um, for you if you want to go Look at this book. It's a very short book, very easy read that really lays out the biblical case uh, for God's intention with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And then another one that comes from the shelves of uh, Pastor Tommy is this one, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by David Instone Brewer. And again, I'll put a link down to this one as well. These, Both of these books do a really great job of having a comprehensive approach to what the Bible teaches about these important topics. Well, what we continue with today is the Sermon on the Mount. And just to remind you of what Tommy said last time and what he continues to say is, is what is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? It is now that you've decided to follow me, now that you've decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what your best life looks like. In other words, let me just be very, very clear. What Jesus is teaching here is not these are a new set of rules. If you keep these rules, then you will be accepted into the kingdom of God. Instead, it's the reverse. What Jesus says is you are accepted into the kingdom of God. You are mine. And you are welcomed into the kingdom, not because you are able to follow the rules. In fact, you fail. Every single teaching that I'm about to give you, as I explore the depth of the law, you will see in your heart that if you look close enough, 
that we fail over and over again. Instead, we are accepted not because of the things that we do, but because of what has been done for us. And so Jesus says, let me show you what the heart of God looks like. Let me show you what his truest disciples look like. These are the types of people that you will become more and more each day as you become more and more like me, Jesus, his true son. And so Jesus, who said in Matthew 5, 17, which kind of prefaces this whole section, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I want to key in on that word, fulfill. And as a reminder, the the previous sermons, we went into some of this in, in more depth, and they're online and link down below to where those audio files are kept. But when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, he means that the things that he's about to express, and one of them being divorce that we're about to talk about, these things that we read in the Old Testament, these laws that were given to Moses, Jesus says, I'm the one who has the authority in person to tell you the true meaning and depth behind these. And so, as he explains each of these different things, anger and lust and divorce and vows, what he's saying is, let me show you the heart intention behind this. Let me show you what God's heart looks like. And of course, we fail at it. We commit murder in our hearts when we are angry with others, in our speech when we call people names. We commit adultery in our hearts and our actions when we have lustful thoughts for other people. We commit divorce when we are unfaithful to the people that we have said and made vows that we would be with them forever. What Jesus is reflecting is God's heart because God doesn't murder. He dies on the behalf of us who are murderers. God doesn't commit adultery. He is supremely faithful to us, though we are unfaithful. God never divorces those who are his, but is always constantly seeking them. And so as Jesus spells out that this is what the heart of God is, he says, this is who I am. I fulfill the law. I am the one who is faithful to you. And he says that my disciples, you, not because of what you've done, not because you come anywhere near these standards, but because of what I have done for you, dying on the cross, living a perfect life, and adopting you as brothers and sisters in Christ, putting my spirit on your hearts. He gives us new hearts so that day by day we become more and more in his image and we reflect what he looks like in our souls. And we will not reach that stage of completion and perfection in this life. That is for the life to come. But in explaining these things about the law, what he shows us is the heart of God the original intention for our lives, which is that we would have the best lives possible. 
We, yes, we live in a fallen and broken world, and we are fallen and broken people. But what Jesus wants to point us to, and what I want to point us to today, is God's heart. What is God's heart? What is God's intention for marriage? And what was Jesus responding to that he saw in the culture of his day? And what do we respond to in the culture of our day as we see different views and different approaches to marriage and divorce? So I encourage you, open your Bibles if you have them at home. If not, you can read along with me. But the passage for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. And we give thanks to the Lord for his word. Now the way we're going to approach this passage is kind of look at three different phases of, of human history. I'm going to go back to creation and look at creation. We'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, which is when our passage is talking about a certificate of divorce, it's referring back to that specific section of the law that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 24. It was said, he's referring back to that. And then we're going to look at the context in which Jesus is teaching and the things that are going on in the culture of his day with the teachers and his disciples and, and things like that and what he's trying to confront um, by pointing people back to the very original intention. So we're going to look at all three of those. So the first stage is to look at Genesis the very beginning, what is the divine intention for marriage? What was marriage? What was the point of creating marriage? And and, and just note and, and realize this, that God is the one that created marriage. Marriage is not some sort of social construct that was created later by humans. And we were like, oh, you know what would be great is that uh, let's, let's create this thing called marriage. And this is how it will work. And um, it will be good for society. But we as Christians, it's not what we believe, that's not what Jesus believed, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible and Jesus teach us that at the very beginning, God, the creator of the universe, instituted, ordained, and created marriage. That He is the source of that definition. So let's look at the beginning. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and see what it says. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. If you read the beginning of Genesis, this is a great refrain over and over. As God um, is creating order out of chaos, it keeps you keep seeing this refrain like a song. It was good. It was good. It was good. God keeps saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then all of a sudden he says, this is not good. And so that stands out in contrast to the rest of the song of creation. And what it points to is this problem of loneliness. God, who exists in a triune fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this intimate mysterious divine fellowship has created a being to be his representative, his reflection, to bear, bear the very image of God on earth. He is to be um, the regent of earth, caring for it, stewarding it, and, and um, in charge of it. And he is supposed to be God's representative on earth. But something is wrong, and he doesn't reflect the divine fellowship because he is alone. 
And so God institutes marriage by creating a partner who is equal to him in every single way to the point that they can become one with one another. Genesis chapter 2, 23 through 25. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24 is where we see marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we see here that marriage is fundamentally created to solve the problem of loneliness. Jay Adams refers to it as the covenant of companionship, and that's what marriage is. It's a covenant. If you're not familiar with that word, covenant is at its most basic level, an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. And the covenant of marriage is so significant. It's so, it's meant to be so strong. It's meant to be an unbreakable bond. In fact, it's compared, the covenant of marriage is compared to the covenant that God has with his people. In other words, in, in, we read throughout the Bible that God makes covenants with his people. And it is the way in which God says, I am your God and you are my people. And this bond between us is called an oath. It is called a covenant, an everlasting covenant. God will never break. And that covenant between God and his people is paralleled with the covenant of marriage. Listen to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And Proverbs are these wisdom sayings. And it says, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her Smooth words, it's talking about that. Um, breaking of the marriage vows. Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. In other words, the person who breaks the covenant of marriage is like the person who breaks the covenant with God. This bond is so significant that it's actually seen as a covenant between three people. Between the man between the woman and that God himself is involved in making and ratifying that covenant. Listen to Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. God is speaking here about the ways in which Israel has violated the covenant and has not been faithful. And this is what he says. The second thing that you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? covenant that exists between man and woman in marriage, that bond is made one with a portion of the Spirit of God. In other words, the Spirit that unites the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit by which the God of the universe is, is made one with one another, a portion of that spirit is given to create the union that exists between man and wife. 
that is the depth and the level and the strength of the bond that is supposed to be with marriage. This was the original intention for marriage. So when we ask, how do I divorce someone? What we're asking is, how do we break this sacred bond? How do we break one of the strongest bonds in the universe that has been created by God himself? Of course, after creation, we have the fall. And the original intention of God for marriage and for humanity as a whole is broken and shattered in many diverse ways because humanity has fallen, we are broken individuals, and the world around us is a fallen world. So we look now kind of at that second stage, and what Jesus is referring to is back in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. So let me just read that original passage. This is the laws concerning divorce. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the later man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the later man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, the first one, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land, and the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So here is the context of what had happened. Since the fall and the distortion of humanity and the intentions of God in this ancient culture and in many ancient cultures, it was the prerogative and purely the prerogative of the husband to do what he willed, when he willed it with his wife, including divorcing her. It required no legal hearing. It required no witnesses. It required nothing. The husbands were getting rid of their wives for any reason that they felt that they needed to. They were being treated like trash. And when a woman was divorced in that cultural context, in that society, she basically had three options. She could get remarried, which no one would do because she was she had been used. She could become a prostitute. Or she could um, die because the husband could accuse her of adultery and she would be stoned to death. So these women, and oftentimes their children, are being kicked out on the street to live a life of destitution. And so in response to that, in response to this chaotic situation, God gives Moses the law and provides this provision to help provide some sort of order into this chaotic situation. It limits divorces to certain causes. There has to be some cause in the certificate of divorce. You have to say, this is the reason why for the divorce. There has to be witnesses present. And the certificate has to be given there. And it, what it would do is it would protect the woman. 
It would permit remarriage, which was necessary for her to survive. It would prevent her from being killed from adultery. It would prevent her from being forced um, into a life of prostitution. What the, what, and also what it said, if you, if you notice, the main thrust of this passage is that, men, you cannot just get rid of your wives for any reason. And if you do still get rid of your wife, if that happens, and notice how many times the word if occurs in this passage, if, 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 if. This was not an official teaching how to get a divorce. This was if this happens somehow then this is the way you can do it. But this was not the intention. So it says, if this happens, if you divorce your wife and she goes off and she's able to remarry because of their certificate and everything else, you cannot remarry her again. And the main thrust of it is this. Marriage is not something that is supposed to be entered in and out of as easily as we step in and out of our cars. Marriage is supposed to be a permanent relationship, but given the chaotic situation, given the fallenness of humans, given the fallenness of Israel and the people and what they were, how they were treating their wives and their children, in that situation, here is a provision in the law. If, 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 then here is a way to navigate the disastrous situation of divorce. This is the only passage in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that speaks directly to divorce and deals with the aftermath of divorce. This is not how you divorce. Rather, it is if this has in fact occurred, certain consequences follow. This is God's word, God's heart, trying to restore order in the midst of chaos. Fast forward to Jesus' time, and we see that even though that law was written to help protect women, that it was pointing back to the divine intention in the first place, that this shouldn't even happen, the Pharisees have twisted it and turned it again, not understanding the heart of God. Listen to what they say in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, as the Pharisees come to speak to Jesus about divorce. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus points the Pharisees back to the original intention for marriage. It was to be an indissoluble bond. The Pharisees, by their own words, show where their hearts are. They begin by saying, Hey, Jesus, what's the reason, what is the biblical reason that we can divorce our wives? And I want to tell you, if you're here today watching this video for some reason, 
find out what is the reason I can get out of my wife, um, out of my uh, marriage. What are the biblical reasons that, where's the checkbox that I can find that I can begin my eat, pray, love journey? Then your heart is in the wrong place. The, the Pharisees at the time were talking about a theological debate that was happening between two different rabbinic schools. And one was very conservative and said, there's no reason for divorce other than sexual unfaithfulness. And then on the other side, the more dominant view that had taken over the time period was you can divorce your wife for any reason at all. And so the divorce certificate became the center of their understanding of the Old Testament law. In other words, we, we need to understand completely what this divorce certificate is made of. And it says we have to have a reason. So what are the reasons we can divorce our wives? Jesus refuses to enter into that conversation and says, stop looking for reasons to divorce each other. And go back to what the original intention for why God instituted and created marriage in the first place. And so they respond, well, didn't Moses command a man to divorce his wife under certain conditions? And Jesus says, no. And we, you and I, we just read that passage together. Moses isn't commanding people to divorce their wives. He's saying, if, 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 if this fallen situation happens, here is a way that we can do it in order to protect our women and children. And Jesus says it was a concession for the hardness of your hearts. And the truth is, is that you and I, even though we are believers in Jesus Christ, we receive new hearts that we still live in a fallen world. And while the power of sin in our life is broken, the influence is very much still there. Let me read to you a passage from, from this book um, by David by David Brewer, and this is on, I think, page 93. It's a story from him that he received an email. I was the adult Sunday school teacher in a Baptist church, and my pastor invited me to sit with the deacons and himself in a difficult situation. A young lady had been constantly threatened by her alcoholic husband. One afternoon, he came to her with a shotgun while she was visiting her sister. After chasing her out into a field, he pinned her down, put the shotgun to her head, and pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. He served a few months in the county jail. My pastor explained that our church took a hard and fast view that divorce is always sin. So if we followed that, we would be advising her to reconcile with her husband once he was released from jail. As I pondered that, I could not believe that God could possibly ask her to do that. And I said so. Think back to the law. Moses. Think to the heart of God. Is that something that God would express in his heart? The decision was eventually made was that she could separate from him but not divorce and was to live the rest of her life in that state unless he died. Friends, we live in a fallen world and we are fallen, broken people and as strong as this bond is that God himself instituted and created. There is sin so egregious that it can be broken and that it should be broken. 
We are not the people that we should be. When Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, what he is showing us is the heart, the fullness of the law. This is who God is. God will never forsake you. God will never abuse you. God will never divorce you. He is faithful. And his son, Jesus Christ, is the embodiment of that law. He is the fulfillment of it. He is the one who restores and makes all things right again. Because he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. And that is what Jesus is pointing us to. Those are the people that we will become. We as followers and believers who have been accepted into his kingdom, not because of what we have done, but because of who he is, will become more and more like him each and every day. He knows we will fail. Of course he does. That's why he has been the person that we should have been. And we look forward to the day, that day, when like a groom comes to the church, his bride, and consummates the marriage, and that we celebrate in a wedding feast with him eternally, and there are no more tears, there's no more brokenness, there's no more divorce. Thank you for being with